All right, we're zeroing in on uh, verse 16 of chapter 11. Fascinating thing about chapter 10 through the middle of chapter 22 is uh, that every one of the Proverbs stands alone. Every one is a, another subject, and there's, there's a wealth of, of material and understanding uh, that you can come to uh, by compare, comparing Scripture with Scripture. That's what we're seeking to do. And uh, we have here um, the key idea of verse 16 is that ruthlessness is not the only way to the top. That there are much more valuable things that come into play um, in terms of lasting values uh, than merely uh, being able to scratch your way uh, to the top by your own strength or power or um, skullduggery or whatever. And it begins then with taking the woman who is the weaker vessel and uh, speaking of her as the gracious woman the word employed is the word hen, which means gracious. It means to bend and stoop in kindness. At least its root means that. Uh, it's uh, the idea of uh, being pleasant or precious. Uh, it is uh, objective beauty or inner character uh, that is being spoken of. And you find the word 69 times, 43 times, where the phrase to find favor in the eyes, eyes of is found. Also, seven times it's used with the word give, that is to give favor to or to give um, uh, honor to. Uh, three times with the verb to obtain, to obtain favor with. And um, all of those are in the book of Esther. So the word is used 14 times independent of that, uh, where it's speaking actually of inner beauty and uh, speaking of, of the uh, idea of of pleasantness or preciousness, uh, that which is more than outward beauty. Uh, Proverbs 11.22, just a little further ahead, says, as a, as a ring of gold in a swine's snout, so is a beautiful woman who lacks discretion. Uh, the emphasis on uh, the female role in the book of Proverbs is not upon outward beauty. In fact, it says in Proverbs 31, verse 30, that favor and beauty are deceitful. But a woman that fears the Lord, she shall be praised. When you use the word hen, you, you, you gather together all of the inner characteristics and attributes that would be true of, of a woman who, who really was beautiful inwardly, a woman with a meek and quiet spirit, a woman who in the sight of God is of great price, uh, and such a one could be described as a gracious woman. The... Uh, uh, emphasis on character is seen as you move through the book and um, see how the word is used. One of the things you learn about about the Hebrew language is that the best way to ascertain the uh, precise meaning of a word is not just to look up in a dictionary or a lexicon. Uh, mainly what the lexicons have to do is, uh, is go to the text where the word is used and look and see how it was used in all of the various texts. Uh, because the Hebrew language was a very limited language, uh, 10,000 words in its vocabulary, as a compared to uh, uh, Koine Greek, which was about 100,000 at the time of Christ, or 200,000 at the time of Christ, uh, 
Hebrew, by comparison, had less words, way less words, and uh, as a result, there uh, there need uh, needed to be a br- uh, the use of a word in a broad sense. And so what you, you, you learn a lot about studying context when you're studying the Hebrew language because you look at all of the ways that the word is used to try to understand its meaning. One of the ways that you get a pretty good idea of it is to, uh, even when you confine yourself to the book in which the word is found, and this word happens to be used in the book of Proverbs a number of times, giving to us the idea of the word and the ultimate um, meaning of the word which has to do with inner character. In Proverbs 1.9, it talks about not forsaking your father's instruction or forsaking your mother's teaching. It says, indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your heart and ornaments about your neck, using the idea of ornaments uh, and, and uh, the, the gold chain or the, uh, the idea of honor being given, uh, that the, the attributes from the teaching of the mother and from the teaching of the father well, actually would would uh, increase your grace. Well, obviously, it's not talking about a real chain about your neck. It's talking about inner your inner character, which is going to be uh, befit you in time to come. In chapter 3, in verse 4, it says this, that when you uh, accept wisdom, the teaching of wisdom, in chapter 3, verse 4, so you will find favor. So you will find... Uh, uh, mat, uh, matzah, you will arrive at your destination, and um, good repute, or the good reputation, or uh, the the matter of respect in the sight of God and man. So you'll find both the favor and the hen, the graciousness uh, in your life and experience. If a person wants to find favor from the Lord, then he's going to be characterized by uh, mercy on one hand and truth on the other. Now, in chapter 3, verse 22, it says this, So, uh, sound, if you have sound wisdom and discretion, they will be life to your soul and an ornament about your neck. And the idea being that a person's <clears throat> neck is called grace, uh, the ornament uh, of a member the woman in First uh, Peter chapter 3 is to wear the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. Well, the, the idea of the ornament here or the adornment to your neck uh, was spoke of grace. And uh, that grace will be his or hers when they have three things, the wisdom, the kokmah of God, the sound wisdom, uh, the teshuya, uh, stability that comes from the word of God, and the uh, mazima, a plan, a plan that uh, is described as uh, discretion here. So those are uh, uses of that word. Chapter 3, verse 34. Again, though he scoffs at the scoffers, yet he gives grace to the afflicted. This is something that comes from God, uh, builds into the inner character, and we're, when a person is a scoffer, God himself will scoff at such a one, but when a person is afflicted, or better, probably humbled, then that individual uh, will receive the grace of God. In Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 9, it says, She will place on your head, wisdom will, a garland of grace. She'll present you with a crown of beauty. Now again, it uses the outward adornment to speak of, of what really is uh, the idea of the inward adornment. Over in Proverbs 13 and verse 15, 13, 15. 
It talking here about good understanding, sekel, that's one of the six Hebrew words for wisdom, intelligence that leads to success. And it says good understanding procures or produces chen, produces favor. When you have an inward grasp of things, when you have an inward discernment and intelligence that leads you along, that good understanding will produce chen, the inner beauty in your life. But the way of the treacherous is hard. And it's, it's contrasted there with the treacherous individual. Proverbs 22 and verse 1. Proverbs 22 and verse 1. A good name is more to be desired than great riches, and hen is better than silver and gold. One should choose a good name and a gracious, loving character before he chooses money. Verse 11. He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious, the king is his friend. Now there it's talking about hen that is uh, related to your speech. And then Proverbs 28, Proverbs 28 and verse 23. He who rebukes a man will afterward find more hen than he who flatters with his tongue. Again, the word uh, can be carried on to mean the idea of the, of the favor that one receives because of his inner character. And so that's the way the word is used there. And finally, in Proverbs 31 and verse 30, there's the warning that charm is deceitful, that even when a person appears outwardly to be gracious, it may be a deceitful grace, and beauty is vain, but the woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Any kind of grace or gracefulness that seems to come from any other source other than God himself, from the fear of the Lord, uh, can be a deceitful grace. Now, of the 13 uses of this word in Proverbs, we mentioned all but three. The use in our verse, 11.16, and then the use in Proverbs chapter 17. I want you to look at that now for a moment. Proverbs 17 and verse 8. It says that a bribe is a charm in the sight of its owner. Whoso, uh, wheresoever he turns, he prospers. Now, the idea of this is not to encourage bribes, but it's simply pointing out that they're on the short-range basis. The bribe does accomplish a certain matter. And the, uh, in this particular case, the bribe is a charm. The bribe is a hen. The bribe is that which uh, has in it real value. And then there's another use. Proverbs chapter 5 and verse 19 Proverbs 5:19 As a loving hind and graceful uh, as a loving hind and a graceful doe let her breast satisfy you at all times be exhilarated always with her love now here it's uh, speaking of the way that a man ought to see his wife the way he ought to view her he ought to view her as a graceful doe, as a, a, a beautiful, graceful animal. Now, um, if you start back at verse 15, this is an interesting text. Drink water from your own cistern, fresh water from your own well. 
And uh, should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed. Rejoice in the wife of your youth as a loving hind, a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. For why would you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a stranger? For the ways of man are before the Lord. He watches all his paths. His own iniquities will capture the wicked. He will be held with the cords of his sin. He will die for lack of instruction or discipline. And in the greatness of his folly, he will go astray. Now, that little phrase then, let her be as a pleasant roe. And these other passages in mind, you can build a profile of a gracious woman. You can put together all of these texts and uh, see the kind of wife that a person really ought to have. Let's just list them for you here, first of all. Number one, is she obedient to her parents? Now, you young guys, you pay attention to this. Help you pick out the right kind of wife, all right? Is she obedient to her parents? The gracious individual is the one who listens to his father's instruction, listens to his mother's teaching, and as a result is an obedient child. The whole area there in chapter 1 in relationships, it's talking about obedience and being an obedient child. Secondly, is she marked by a combination of mercy and truth? She marked by a combination of mercy and truth. Remember again, you're not to allow mercy and truth to forsake you. You're to bind them to yourself so that you can be gracious. So you look for a woman who is, has mercy and truth. Number three, does she show adherence to the wisdom of God? That is stabilized by the word of God. And is she organized, planning ahead? These are three things. Wisdom, stabilized, and planning. The whole area of, of growth in this area is, is so important. You want a gal who has the characteristics of hen by wisdom, chokmah, the skill that comes from God himself, by a stabilization that comes, a commitment to the word of God, and mitzuma, the planning ahead kind of a person, the person who has goals and so on. Number four, is she humble? Is she humble? Now, let's get the basic concept of humility again, uh, the way Scripture teaches it. Understand that the, the idea of humility in Scripture is consistently the idea of one who recognizes his dependence on others. And in particular, the humble person who humbles himself under the mighty hand of God is one who realizes, I can't go it alone. I've got to have the, the help of God. If I don't have the help of God, I'm utterly dependent upon God. Christ said it this way, without me you can do nothing. 
When a person comes to the place where he realizes that, uh, the, the, there's such a, miscon- a misconception concerning what pride and humility really is. Uh, people think uh, that uh, if a person is uh, uh, proud of an accomplishment, that is, he, he, has, uh, he has accomplished something and he is pleased with that accomplishment that he has done, that that is a bad thing because you're not supposed to be proud. Well, they see, they totally missed the boat. If a person says, I did that by myself, and I did not, I, I didn't need anybody's help, God's help, or anybody else's help, I did it, that is pride, and that's sinful. I'll never forget, I got in trouble one time over that whole thing, and I, uh, I didn't figure the theology out, uh, out until later, but I was glad later on when I found out uh, how uh, misled people are in rega- regard to pride and humility. I had a... Uh, um, I had a, uh, um, a woman call on the phone. Uh, my sister was 13, so I would have been about 10, maybe a little over 10. And uh, the gal was a gal that my mom had been working with. And uh, she had been having all kinds of problems. And uh, uh, she uh, uh, was uh, uh, calling to talk to my mother about something. And uh, my mom wasn't there. And... Uh, uh, the reason she wasn't there was because my sister Betty, um, at 13, was going to play the organ that night at church. And uh, so when this gal called, I knew she was a friend of mom, and, and I was all excited. We all were, because Betty was going to play the organ. And, and uh, so I, I said on the phone, I said, uh, you know, uh, uh, mom's at the church because Betty's practicing the organ. Betty's going to play in the evening service tonight, and mom is so proud of her. And this gal... Oh, Mrs. Steele is proud. She's just as sinful as I am. And so she said to my mom the next time, she said, I won't listen to anything that you say any longer because you're proud. Your son said so. Boy, did I get it. Woo! <laughs> yes? Well, the Scripture uses the word humble and proud. So I think, you know, it's a matter of understanding. It's dependence. It's not thankfulness. It's dependence. It always has the... Thankfulness is another matter. The point is that thankfulness would be involved. Obviously, you'd have to be thankful if you knew how dependent you were and something were accomplished. The idea is that of dependence and independence. Satan's sin was pride, Isaiah 14. His his pride was demonstrated how? I will be like the Most High. I don't need God. I can be like God. I can go it alone. I can do my thing. That's pride. Humility is the opposite. It's dependence. Saying, I need you every hour, most gracious Lord. You can't get along without His grace, without His mercy, without His love. That's what humility is. When you're looking for a wife, the right kind of a woman, Keep in mind that you want to look for a woman who is, who is dependent. A woman who is not independent, does not have an independent spirit. Because an ind- independent spirit leads to destruction. Because pride leads to destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. If you want a woman that's headed for destruction, you'll find a woman who is independent. I like her. She's independent. That's not a good thing. You better say... I like her. She is dependent. Interestingly enough, the word is used primarily in Scripture concerning dependence on God. 
That's what the humble person is. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and He will exalt you in due time. You're utterly dependent upon Him for exaltation and everything else. But understand this, that there are times where it's used in relationship to people. In the, one of the most outstanding passages is 1 Peter 3, where it's there with a list of uh, those things, symphony and harmony and uh, uh, kindness and all of those things that are related to the husband-wife relationship. And they are told that they are to be humble toward each other. Well, what do you mean humble toward each other? Well, the woman in a marriage is to understand she is dependent upon her husband. And the husband should understand he is dependent on the wife. We men a lot of times forget how dependent we are on our wives. Let her get sick, go to the hospital, then you begin to remember. Uh, but, uh, you know, there, there, there should be a deep appreciation on, uh, uh, to her as well for what she does because you're dependent on her. Remember, it was God that saw that Adam was not good because he was alone. There was a deficiency in Adam. Apart from, apart from uh, the uh, uh, perfection of God's creation and every other point, there was one lack. And that one lack was, it is not good that man dwell alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. One who fits. One who fills his deficiency, actually. And that's the thing that God desires and the thing that God wants is to fill the deficiency in the life. I, I think it's a very important point in terms of of the matter of seeking a wife that here man is if we could illustrate it this way and uh, a whole man would look that way alright for lack of a better illustration you have half a man simply because he's not married okay and what God does is God fills in this by compensating and uh, he compensates. He, he, he fills the gap. And there it's possible for a person to live as a single person the rest of his life. Because God compensates. God fills in that gap. Alright? Now it's wrong for a person to say, I'm never going to get married. Not only that, it's probably foolhardy because you'll sooner or later probably get married. So it's wrong for you to, it's wrong for you to just say dogmatically, I will never get married. Uh... It's wrong for a person to say, I'm going to get married whether God likes it or not. See? And you have to realize that what God does is He, when He's getting ready to, to have you get married, He can remove the compensation so that you begin to feel lonely. It's an amazing thing. Uh, just because you feel lonely doesn't mean you go run, run out and marry the first girl you find. You always discern God's will in everything you do, including who you marry. But God does a gracious thing because he, I've seen guys that are, you know how it is at college, uh, some of these guys going around saying, you know, I'm, I'm a bachelor for life. I'm not interested in girls. I'm just not, I've dated and, and uh, enjoyed the few times together, but uh, that, uh, believe me, to settle down with any woman I've ever met in my life you know, I, I there's no way. I and mean, maybe he went with a maybe went with a good-looking chick, and uh, uh, she uh, uh, was was all that a man would want in as far as the physical attractiveness is concerned. And boom, you know, uh, he just drops her like a hot potato. And says, "No way, I'm not interested in her." The 
the thing that, that's going to happen to that guy is he's going to go along that way for a while, confirmed bachelor, and one day he's going to meet a gal. And she probably is not going to be near as good looking as the gal in college. She may, she may uh, have better inner qualities because he's a little more mature now and he can spot those things a little better. But the poor bachelor eventually bites the dust. <laughs> and everybody wonders, what happened? I mean, I, I've known a lot of guys in my life and this is one guy I swore would never get married. Well, God removed that compensation so that all of a sudden the guy felt lonely. He felt as though he needed somebody to be with him. He began to desire to have children and all of those things that were involved. And the guy fell just like all the rest of us suckers, you know? <laughs> sure, because God removed the compensation. When he gets married, then you see he is, he is actually fulfilled because he has found that that right person. Of course, sin can distort this so badly that the ideal situation isn't seen. A person, for instance, can be single and not happy at all. God's doing his best to compensate for the person, but the guy is so lustful and so desirous of his own way and all of that that it distorts this entirely. So I'm talking ideally here. But the man can only be perfectly fulfilled as, as God brings that right person into his life and then fills up the gap. And that makes the man dependent on the woman. God does kind of a neat thing because you see actually one thing we can't, you know I hear guys say I can get along without women. I'll tell you what, we can't. Where'd you come from? A woman. You can't, you can't perpetuate the race without her. You gotta have her. We are dependent for life itself on the woman. And the woman is an important person. And then the man is important. And the relationship together is important. But it requires a humility. And if you want to find a woman who is the right kind of woman, you'll find a woman who is dependent, who is willing to be dependent and recognize her dependence upon the man that God gives her. And all, uh, of course, more than that, dependent upon God himself. Is she committed to doctrine? Is she committed to doctrine? That's a good point. You can be committed to God's wisdom and yet avoid some very important things concerning doctrine. That is, you can desire to have God's practical wisdom, but you can lack the response that you should to the truth of His Word in terms of the, of the doctrinal teaching of that Word. And the woman should be, should be sold on doctrine and realize how important that doctrine is. Number six, does she have the kind of intelligence that leads to success? Sakal, I'll put down Sakal there. It's easier to write that than all the rest. Sakal is the word that speaks of success in the sense that a person has the good sense, the discernment, the intelligence that ultimately will lead to success. The success is secondary. Sakal emphasizes the kind of, of thinking that is going to produce successful living. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, and so that thou may observe to do the things that are written therein, and so shalt thou make thy way prosperous, and so shalt thou have good sakel, sakel, which is related to sakal, and it's translated success in the King James. It actually means 
When you meditate on Scripture, you will develop the intelligence that ultimately will lead to success. Number seven. Is she more concerned about inner character than about money? Is she more concerned about inner character than about money? You want to avoid the kind of woman who simply wants to be rich, wants to be wealthy, places great value in material things. The kind of woman that, that uh, desires the outward adornment more than the inward adornment. Avoid that. Find a woman who is most concerned about the inward adornment. And you don't obviously want a woman who is uh, on the, uh, careless about her appearance and all of that. Uh, really, one of the characteristics of a woman who has inner character is that she takes care of the outward without emphasizing the outward, without, uh, there can be the, the wearing of jewelry as an example, but the emphasis of her life is not on the wearing of jewelry. She doesn't try to, to hide her inner deficiency by an outward adornment. Rather, she has an outward adornment that is in keeping with an inner beauty. But she's more interested in inner character than she is money. Number eight. Does she guard her purity? Does she guard her purity and develop gracious speech? Can't even write today. So what's new, huh? She, she has an inner purity, a purity of life, and she guards that carefully. A lot of guys, you know, they are really attracted to a gal who is, quote, easy. A lot of guys, you know, they are really attracted to a gal who is, quote, easy. Make your sexual advances and she falls like a ripe plum in your hand. Tell you something, you don't want to marry a girl like that. Shame on you for uh, testing any girl or tempting any girl because Scripture says that as whoremongers, God will judge. And you can be sure that He will. There's a tremendous judgment that comes on those that, that play fast and loose in the area of sex. And one of the things that you learn from Scripture is that if you are any kind of a man at all, if you are a man... That, that is walking with God, you will see to it on every date that you have, every single date, that you recognize your responsibility to guard the purity of the girl that you're with. As a major responsibility you have, you are entrusted with her purity. And she at the same time should be the kind of woman that guards her purity. And a, a, man, a man who is rebuffed when he makes advances sexually to a woman, she, he ought to be so pleased that she's that kind of a woman. And if she's got any brains, she won't marry you. But you can just be thankful that she's going to preserve herself for some other man and uh, in due time be able to give herself to him in marriage. Guarding her purity. And then gracious speech. I uh, just completed... A fantastic book, and I didn't have any intention of mentioning it. I didn't see how in the world it could tie in, but I, when you got it in your mind, you can't help but mention it. Bill Murray, who is the son of Madeline Murray O'Hare, um, has just completed a book. And in the book, it's called My Life Without God. 
And uh, Bill Murray became a Christian two years ago. He was the subject of the Supreme Court test on prayers in the school. As a result of that ruling in Baltimore, Maryland, that is why they no longer allow any Bible reading or prayer in schools. She uh, and with her son, who was 14 at the time, were successful in that court case. And uh, he writes a biography of his life. And uh, believe me, if you want to know what Madeline Murray O'Hare is really like, you've got to read that book. <laughs> I'll tell you, that book, is it'll blow your mind. But I'll tell you, she is not a gracious woman. <laughs> you could probably tell that anyway. But I'll tell you this. She, is, she has not even a semblance of gracious speech. She is just the opposite. She is a coarse, bitter woman. One of the interesting, fascinating things in the book I just mentioned to you is that Madeline Murray O'Hare over and over again has claimed that she was five years old when she became an atheist. It's just not true. She lies a lot, too. you got to watch her. <laughs> She's got no scruples at all. But in any event, she became bitter after her son Bill was, uh, was born uh, because he was, he was an illegitimate child and her, her, the man involved would not marry her because he was already married and wouldn't divorce his other wife because the Catholic Church wouldn't allow it. And, uh, and she took it out on God. And that's what she's doing, raising her fist to God for that reason. That's, it becomes very, very plain when you see the book unfold. It was so good, I couldn't put the thing down. I sat down Monday and read it, and uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't quit until I finished the book. It was marvelous, marvelous book, well written, and, and really tells you the story. But she is not gracious. And you know, the, the point is that when a person becomes bitter... And their words will often betray them. When a person becomes bitter, instead of responding to discipline that God brings into their life, it will be demonstrated in non-gracious speech since us for our benefit. And when a person is exercised by that, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. But when they are not exercised by it, a root of bitterness springs into their heart and, they are, and many are defiled by it. And so... A woman who is, has gracious speech is a good catch. Number nine, does she give an honest rebuke? Does she give an honest rebuke when needed rather than flattery? What we saw in those verses we read, there is a gracious, a graciousness that, that is demonstrated when an individual is willing to bring a rebuke when needed. You don't want a woman who's a pushover. You want a woman when the time when the time comes for for a rebuke, she's willing to rebuke. She's not going to just give you soft soap. She's not going to just give you flattery, but she'll rebuke when needed. You need that kind of a woman, guys. Some of you have that kind of a wife, right? And then is she a woman that fears God? A woman who fears God. Favor is deceitful, but the woman that fears God, she shall be praised. All right? Now, those are just some, just some thoughts that are pulled out of those verses of Scripture. Now, the word for woman is 
Isha. Man is Ish. God made man and he said Ish. Ish means hard, firm, concept of strength, outer strength, physical strength, leader. The idea of a leader. Isha is the precise opposite. It's not just a matter of sort of opposites. Precise opposite. Precise opposite, Isha, means soft, tender, the follower. God designed the man and the woman in this way so that when Adam saw the woman, saw Eve, he said, she shall be called woman, opposite, because she is taken out of man. She shall be called Isha because she is taken out of Ish. She is his counterpart. She is his opposite. And uh, the word opposite number is used. That sounds kind of cold. She is your opposite number. But nevertheless, that is, there's no doubt about it. She is. The wife in a relationship is the opposite number of a man. She is the one who is softer physically, tender emotionally, and one who is designed for the role of support and following. The man is to take the lead, not simply because he is the man, but because God designed it that way. He designed it by making the man first and having the woman then designed to be the helper. He also designed it because the man, the man, uh, man's uh, emotional uh, stability is supposed to be stronger than the woman in terms of uh, being able to resist uh, false teaching and discern that. All of those things are involved. And God de declared it in His sovereignty. God could have done it any way He wanted. And God declared in His sovereignty that uh, the, the husband should be the leader in the relationship and in the home. So this is the woman. And uh, there is great value in the right kind of woman. Proverbs 31, of course, deals with this whole idea of a woman and her, uh, her place. It says in verse 10, an excellent wife who can find. The word excellent or virtuous in the King James is the word C-H-A-Y-I-L. Chahil, it's a word that means capacity of character. And it's, it's a, a woman with that capacity of character who can find for her worth is far above jewels or literally pearls. She has a tremendous, a tremendous character. That's the thing that makes her valuable. Look over at uh, 1 Timothy 2 with me for a moment. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 9. Realizing the fact that the law is not made for the righteous man, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching according to the glorious gospel of the blessed... I, what, I, I, 
Yeah, I'm, I, I got in the wrong chapter there. I, you know, this I got this new Bible, and it's like driving a new car. I can't find anything right. All right, I knew it was coming up. I would have read a long time. Chapter 2, verse 9. There we are. found them. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing. There's the outward, all right? I want them to be adorned in proper clothing, modest clothing, okay? Modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly garments. Now, it's not saying they shouldn't wear those things. It's talking, it's talking about putting all that emphasis on that outward. Uh, there are some things that were... They, what the gals would do is they'd spend... You know, these cornrow, this cornrow hair? Everybody thinks that's so modern? It really wasn't. They used to take those individual cornrow things and they would weave gold strands in every single, every single one of those little pigtails. It would take hours upon hours upon hours. A woman sometimes would spend eight hours dressing and getting her hair fixed for an evening. All right? And what this is exactly what Paul's talking about. He said that's, that is putting all of the emphasis on the outer. And, and uh, then she dresses herself in all of this luxurious garment, all of these things. Uh, there's a, a, a gal in Hollywood I heard about uh, a number of years ago that uh, uh, has a house at Newport Beach. And every month, an interior decorator comes in for two days and redoes the house in, in uh, you know, the theme of the month, okay? A different theme every month. And she never wears a dress twice. She buys, you know, $500 evening gown, throws it away after the evening. I'll tell you, that is going too far, all right? Talk about being overdressed, you know? Here she is, okay? Well, now, this is what, this is what Paul's talking about here. He's not talking about a woman looking nice or wearing jewelry. Some people take that and carry it to the far extreme, saying women should never wear jewelry. It's sinful to wear jewelry. It just can't be supported by Scripture. But the right kind of a woman will not, they will adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly so as not to call attention to yourself. You know, if a woman wants to dress properly, you guys can share this with your wives. She wants to dress, I'm sure she'll appreciate it. Uh, they want to dress properly. They'll accentuate the face. The emphasis of the world is to accentuate the body. Draw attention to the body. You notice that? But a woman who dresses properly will accentuate the face. When a woman... When a woman has a pure inner spirit, she will desire to have people see that. You know how you see it? You can see it in her eyes. But you know, very few guys notice a girl's eyes because she dresses to distract from her eyes. And you, if you want to, if you want to successfully, successfully avoid lust, one of the things you want to do is concentrate on a girl's eyes, not on her body. And something you will see in her eyes will sometimes break your heart. If she's a loose woman, her eyes will be deeply sad. 
You can look into the eyes of a pure woman and you can see right into her soul. And she may be sad at the moment, but her eyes will reflect purity and joy. And you know what's it's one of the one of the most enlightening things to me to see a bride's eyes at the wedding altar. You guys, any of you are planning to get married and you have the right girl and she's, she's sure of where she stands and knows this is the will of God, you be sure and notice her eyes. There is nothing so beautiful as a bride's eyes when she has inner character. But I'll tell you something. There are gals that come to the wedding altar one, some of the time and, and you know, I realize it's purely subjective. And uh, yet, you know what I feel like doing? I feel like saying, hold it, stop. I just saw this girl's eyes. We ought to call the whole thing off. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm serious. Because when a girl's eyes don't look right, when they don't shine with that glow, there's something wrong. You can't always discern what it is. Maybe it's her own impurity, the feeling of guilt. Guilt shows up in the eyes. Maybe it's... Uh, just simply fear that she isn't quite sure that this is right. Maybe a lot of things. But I'll tell you, there is a difference, a marked difference. And when I really know a couple and really know the gal and I know where she stands spiritually and I come to that wedding altar and she starts walking toward me and I look at those eyes, the first thing I always look at, I look at those eyes and when I see those eyes, I'll tell you something, it is beautiful. And I, the, the, the bride can be as ugly as can be in her physical features, but at that moment she is beautiful. Her eyes shining forth the very beauty of the Lord. It's, it's a marvelous thing. But you see, when you've got guilt showing in your eyes, you don't want people to see your eyes. What you do is you dress so they're attracted to look at your body rather than your eyes. The pure woman wants men to see her eyes, because through the eyes you can see into her very soul. All right, so she should dress modestly and discreetly, not with all of these things that distract, but rather by means of good works, as befits women, making a claim to godliness. By means of good works. When her life and good works, in this, in this sense, there are two senses which good works are used. Good works that are man's effort. The context always makes it clear. If the Scripture's for it, then it's one thing. If the Scripture's against it, it's something else. And God is against good works, human works, trying to, to please God simply by uh, doing, what, doing what you uh, think is right. That's not, God doesn't want that. By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. God doesn't have any part in that. But when God takes hold of your life, he produces in the power of His Spirit good works. It is called good works. It is called fruits of righteousness. It is called the fruit of the Spirit. But it, it basically is the same thing. And it's interesting to note, uh, in the book of Titus, it says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. You're not saved by works, all right? And that book that says that so very clearly says more about good works for the Christian produced by the power of the Spirit of God than any other book in Scripture. 
Titus, the book that says, don't have good works, says have good works. And that's contradictory? No. There are different kinds of good works. The good works that come from human effort are rejected by God and could never bring you salvation. But you're told in, in Titus that you are to be zealous of good works. That grace teaches us to do good works. Good works. But good works produced by the power of God's Holy Spirit as He controls your life. And so this woman is to have that kind of good works. And it's the kind of woman that befits a woman making a claim to godliness. We need to recognize that God wants that kind of inner character that shows by outer good works because she is a godly woman. Now turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. And notice it says, In the same way you wives be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste, that's the word holiness, hognos, chaste and respectful behavior, and let not your adornment be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart, with that imperishable quality of a gentle, gentle, meek, prates means total trust in God, and quiet spirit, not the outward uh, tranquility, not the kind of peace you have when everything is going good, well, but the kind of peace you have arising from within, which is precious in the sight of God. In this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands. Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You become her children if you do that which is right without being frightened by any fear. The woman is called in verse 7 the weaker vessel. But nevertheless, she is to have that kind of strength and character. Proverbs 31, again in verse 25 Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she smiles at the future. Strength and dignity are her clothing. The outward beauty, uh, the inward beauty, becomes an outward adornment as individuals can see it. So the idea of inward beauty, the unblemished character. Ruth was that kind uh, of a woman, and she was a woman of of unblemished character. If you look over. In the book of Ruth, between Judges and 1 Samuel here somewhere, my pages stick together in this new Bible, but in the book of Ruth, chapter 3 and verse 11, it says, And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask, for all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. A woman of excellence. A woman of excellence is the one with real character. You'll notice in Proverbs 31, 28 that she uh, wins her children because of her, the life that she lives, the way she is, her character. It says in verse 28, her children shall rise up and bless her, her husband also, and he praises her saying and so on. So she will win her ch children and she'll win her husband as well. I see that in verse, uh, uh, verse 28 again, her husband also. 
and praises her, saying, Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all, and so on. And then, of course, First Peter 3, 1 and 2, again, it says that she can win her husband by her character. So she'll win her children, she'll win her husband, she'll win others, she'll please the Lord. This is the kind of woman that a person wants to have. Now, this kind of a woman, or this woman, this gracious woman, this woman with all of these characteristics, it says she retaineth. Retaineth is tamak. Tamak means to sustain or maintain. The main idea is to grasp something securely. It's used often with parallel uh, words like uh, ahaz, which means to seize. If you look over Proverbs 3, Proverbs 3 and verse 18, you'll see that she, that is wisdom, is a tree of life. To those who take hold of her, there's our word, tamak, and happy are all who hold her fast. Now that's parallel. So they basically mean the same thing. They're not bringing out opposite ideas, but there's a synthesis here. Those who take hold of her, those who hold her fast. The word tamak and aha is used together. The idea is to grip, to take hold. The word retain is the word that was used in the King James and is a little misleading because it's changed its meaning over the centuries. And uh, uh, it means more than retain. It means to grab hold and hold on tightly and thus maintain. Uh, usually, when that word is tamak is used, it has to do with one of two things, either moral matters or spiritual truth. And uh, the thinking son, for instance, holds fast to his father's wise words in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 4. Those who lay hold on wisdom are happy. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 18. A humble man lays hold of honor in Proverbs uh, 29, 23. Uh, interestingly enough, in a negative sense, the adulteress lays hold of the grave in Proverbs 5, 5. The wicked are held fast by their sin in Proverbs 5.22. The opposite there where the sin is holding on to them rather than them holding the sin. If a, if a believer lays hold on God's path, Psalm 17.5, then he's going to have God's reward, Isaiah 33 and verse 15. So the, the, the woman, uh, lays the, the gracious woman lays hold of something. And what does she lay hold of? She lays hold of honor. She lays hold of, of uh, something that is valuable. Ka-bod. We'll talk about what that means next week. But uh, we'll pick up on that right about there. But the gracious woman lays hold on honor. We'll get into that further. Now, just in conclusion, let me say, when you're looking for, the, for a wife, if you're married, you shouldn't be. But if you aren't, then uh, believe me, you want to look at this kind of a person. And by the way, if you are married, remember, if you're the right kind of a husband, then you can build that kind of character into your wife, even though she may lack it at some point you can have a great deal to do with seeing to it that her character is built so that she too has that inner beauty. Let's have a word of prayer together. Now, Father, 
we just thank you that you hold before us the gracious woman. We pray that she might be one that that will attract to herself that perfect man for her and that together they may become a dynamic team serving you with their whole heart. We're just so desirous, Lord, of seeing our men be men and our women be women and both of them living to please you. Help us to be gracious men today, allowing that inner character in our lives to shine forth. And we pray that others may see it and believe in our Savior who makes it possible. Thank you for the good time that we enjoy around your word. Teach us these things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.